Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. A note of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast, bringing you this week's latest in high-profile and under-the-radar cases across the country for the week of May 24th, 2019. I'm Billy Jensen, and this is Owen Michael. Hello. This week, an Oregon mom and her three-year-old son are missing. A South Carolina dad is on trial for killing his five kids and driving around with their bodies for nine days. A Texas police chief is on trial for an upstate New York double murder plot and a questionable sentencing recommendation for a Colorado man with a history of harassment and threats. But first, a 15-year-old girl missing in West Virginia has been found, and her mother's boyfriend is in custody. That's right, Billy. We've got uh, the case of Riley Crossman out of West Virginia this week. Uh, Riley Crossman was 15 years old when she was reported missing by her mother on May 8th uh, near Berkeley Springs, West Virginia. Riley's decomposing, excuse me, Riley's decomposing body was found near the edge of a cliff in Berkeley County last Thursday, May 16th, by forest rangers there. Hundreds of volunteers had been scouring the region for Riley during the week that she was missing. Andy McCauley Jr., 41 years old, was arrested within hours and charged with first-degree murder. The Morgan County Sheriff said McCauley was considered a person of interest since the day that Riley was reported missing. He was Riley's mother's boyfriend. The Martinsburg Journal reports that cadaver dogs indicated a dead body had been in the bed of McCauley's truck. Journal reports the dogs detected the odor underneath a utility toolbox in the truck bed. Yeah. So sheriff's officials said McCauley had multiple inconsistencies in his story about what he did on the day of May 8th. So during questioning, McCauley, who actually doesn't even have a driver's license, he originally says that he had left his construction site uh, where he had been working. Then he tells investigators... But so so and then they clear that up. So they say, you know what? You, you, we found out that you probably did leave. Then he's like, no, OK, yes, I did leave for less than an hour to buy drugs from a person who he said he didn't know. I, I hate that. So um, and he couldn't get a hold uh, to confirm his story. So once the alibi is is broken, he says, no, I went to go buy drugs again, which we've seen this before, kind of uh, admitting to a, a smaller crime sure. when you're when you might be guilty of a bigger one. Uh, listen, I'm telling you everything. I went and go bought drugs. But I don't know who the guy is. An alley. Yeah. I would never I wouldn't even recognize yeah, yeah, him. Again. Yeah. Who, it was I, dark. Yeah. And so you can't find him. An unidentified witness later told investigators that McCauley already had cocaine on him at the work site that day, and he wouldn't have needed to travel to get more. He's already holding. He's holding. Uh, West Virginia State Police later located surveillance video that showed McCauley's truck leaving the job site at 9 a.m. on the 8th, traveling toward the residence where Riley Crossman and her mother live. A witness also reported seeing the truck at the residence that morning at 10 a.m. So this time, McCauley told police, yes, I was there for 15 to 30 minutes. 
and I was shooting up cocaine there. Uh, he had early told officers that he had been sniffing it. He said he went back to work the same route and was gone for a total of two hours, but video never shows him driving that same route. In fact, other video shows him near the location where Riley's body was found, where he, where he explicitly said that he never was. And at the work site, further video surveillance shows Macaulay returning at 1.41 p.m., meaning he was absent for four hours and 40 minutes. Riley Crossman's body had drywall mud on her shoulder and her foot, which was consistent with the same drywall mud that was found in Andy McCauley's truck during the cadaver dog search. Drywall mud, of course, being sort of paste uh, that they use on a spackle. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Results of an autopsy have not yet been released in this case. Investigators said they believe uh, Riley Crossman had been killed before her body was disposed of. Her remains were already decomposed when she was found. She was initially identified by her clothing and dental spacers. Riley Crossman's mother and grandmother saw the girl the night before she disappeared on May 7th. The next, the next day, her mother said she checked in on her, but uh, assumed the girl had already gone to school that day. She grew worried when Riley did not return from school later that day and later received a text from the school stating that Riley was absent. That's when she reported Riley missing to police, called 911. Macaulay already had a record. Uh, he already has a record of drug possession and conspiracy. He's currently held without bond. Authorities have not determined a motive for the crime as yet. So we're going to go to Oregon now. Carissa Fretwell and her three-year-old son, William, were reported missing in Salem, Oregon, by their family on May 13th. A friend of Carissa's, who regularly babysits for the three-year-old boy, told the Salem Statesman Journal that she had last talked to the missing woman on May 11th when Carissa was seeking help installing a security camera system at her home. This friend was supposed to watch William last Friday, May 17th, but has had no contact with Carissa Fretwell, who is 25 since the 11th. A neighbor told KOIN-TV in Portland, Oregon, that police came to his apartment at about 4 a.m. on either Friday or Saturday night uh, last weekend, um, seeking information about the missing mother. The neighbor said he and his wife had heard commotion at Carissa Fretwell's apartment about two months ago. Quote, we heard a man and a woman arguing incredibly loud. The man was swearing a lot and there was a kid crying in the background and the woman was yelling at him to get out of her apartment. This neighbor said a woman claiming to be Carissa's sister also visited the neighbors, uh, visited them within the last week saying her sister was missing. She was uh, very, uh, she was pretty upset and really concerned, according to this neighbor. The neighbor told Coin TV his back door faces Carissa's back door. And then he told the sister he could see that the TV had been on for at least a week in Carissa's apartment, tuned to the same channel. Hmm. A Pontiac Grand Am registered to Carissa Fretwell is parked in front of the missing woman's apartment with a child seat in the back. There are reports that a Mercury Mountaineer SUV is parked in front of this Grand Am. There's a college financial aid application visible on the front seat that appears to be signed by Carissa. Carissa is currently a student at uh, uh, Western Oregon University, and she works as a security guard on the graveyard shift. Her friend, the babysitter, said Carissa is an amazing mom with a strong work, work ethic who would never miss work. So, yeah, so, so this is still still an open case. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can follow this on truecrimedaily.com and also uh, um, on our Facebook page, but it is still an open case. They're still looking for her. And we're going to move over to South Carolina now um, to an incredibly sad and wicked story. Timothy Ray Jones Jr., 37, is on trial in South Carolina. He's accused of killing his five children. 
The murders are alleged to have occurred in August of 2014. Jones had custody of his five children with his wife, Amber Kaiser, until the couple divorced. Amber Kaiser said she allowed Jones to have custody because he had a good-paying job as a computer engineer, and he also had a car. So she reportedly got a ride to a Chick-fil-A restaurant in Lexington, South Carolina, just outside of Columbia, every Saturday to have shared visitation with his kids, with the kids. On September 6, 2014, no one else showed up that Saturday. Prosecutors allege that at least nine days before that, Timothy Jones killed his kids in a rage. Six-year-old Natan had reportedly broken four electrical outlets in the home. Jones alleges that he forced the boy to do push-ups and squats, occasionally spanking him, then sent Natan to bed. He later found the child dead in his bed, he said. He then allegedly strangled his 8-year-old daughter, Mira, and then his 7-year-old son, Elias, with his bare hands. Prosecutors say Jones then strangled his 2-year-old son, Gabriel, and 1-year-old daughter, Abigail, with a belt. Jones is alleged to have then wrapped the children's bodies in plastic, placed them in his Cadillac Escalade, and then allegedly drove around the southeastern United States for the next nine days with their bodies in the vehicle before he deposited their bodies off a dirt road on a hilltop in Camden, Alabama. They were found in black garbage bags. The Charleston Post and Courier reports two of the bodies had been chewed on by animals, according to a coroner's report, and it appeared someone had tried to saw off another child's leg. So Jones was arrested uh, at, a tr- at a routine police traffic safety checkpoint in Smith County, Mississippi, about 500 miles away from uh, where he's from, Lexington, South Carolina. And officers testified that he recognized a strong odor in the SUV as, quote, the smell of death. Timothy Jones Jr.'s lawyers do not dispute that he killed the children as he's being tried for the death penalty. He has pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. The defense maintains that he has undiagnosed schizophrenia. A judge this week would not allow pictures in court of the deceased children. The de- uh, excuse me. The defense reportedly wanted to show the gruesome photos to aid in their insanity defense by showing how badly decomposed the bodies in the SUV were. A pathologist testified, but the pictures were not revealed. Timothy Jones confessed to police, saying that he was angry at the boy for breaking the electrical outlet. So he forced the boy to do exercises for hours, doing push-ups and squats, resulting somehow in the boy's accidental death, according to him. He said the boy would not admit what he had done. He said he feared the six-year-old and the other children were all plotting to kill him. He told police that he found the boy dead several hours later. Quotes, the voices started kicking in, Jones, Jones told police and the FBI. He said he had no other choice but to kill the other children who were sleeping. He said he used a belt on the two youngest kids because their necks were too small to get his hot hands around them. They didn't want their lives taken, Jones said in his confession. A prison guard testified this week that Jones had told him that the eight-year-old daughter walked into the room while he was strangling one of her brothers and that he grabbed her then and choked the life out of her. Lexington, excuse me, a Lexington County Sheriff's digital forensics expert testified that Timothy Jones had made numerous internet searches on topics such as facing legal problems, where do you run, and which countries don't have extradition, extradition treaties with the U.S., and searches for landfills and dumps, and had also searched various websites about schizophrenia, according to the Greenville News. If you're searching for websites about schizophrenia, you're obviously, you're setting up There's presence of mind right there. there. There's presence of mind right there, facing legal problems, and then, you know what? I might as well do a search for schizophrenia to show that I have schizophrenia. And it's... That's, yeah, that's true. You're, you're really leaving an obvious you trail. Are, yes. So, uh, Jones's ex-wife, Amber, said Jones became very religious and demanding of her after they married. Uh, 
quote, women are to be seen and not heard. I was merely to take care of the children to keep them out of his way, Kaiser testified this week. She said Jones appeared to begin having mental problems after their divorce. She said she talked to her ex-husband on the night of August 28th, 2014, during a regular phone call and heard her older son crying and upset in the backyard. Jones reportedly hung up on her and no one answered as she repeatedly called back. That was the last contact she had before Jones allegedly killed the kids and went on the run. Uh, Amber Kaiser broke down on the stand Monday and the trial was temporarily halted. Amber testified she was never informed when a school nurse reported an injury, bruises on six-year-old Natan's neck and forearms, to South Carolina Social Services three months before the murders, while the kids were living with their father. She has filed a civil lawsuit against the agency, which had reportedly investigated the family three times for neglect and abuse before the kids were killed. Again, we, we've seen this before. This is a running theme. Um, uh, Child Protective Services, it's one of the toughest jobs in the world. Um, there's a, it's a, but at the end of the day, it's child protective, and you need to do that. You this need to reach point. out to the other, you know, They're uh, overwhelmed, the other family, but, uh, too. You hear all these horror yeah. stories, and the alternative is, is awful. The two had initially met while working together at a children's restaurant slash theme park in Illinois. Counterintuitive there. This next case is uh, out of New York State and Texas. The former police chief of a Texas town is on trial this week for the murder of two New York State residents. Joshua Niles is 28 and Amber Washburn is 24. They were shot dead in their driveway in Sotus, New York, a small town in upstate New York about 30 miles east of Rochester in October of last year. Timothy Dean, 34, is charged with first and second degree murder and conspiracy in the case. Timothy Dean was the chief of police in Sunray, Texas, a tiny town north of Amarillo in between Oklahoma and New Mexico. He's pleaded not guilty in this case. Dean is married to Charlene Childers. Charlene Childers has two children with the murdered man, Joshua Niles. Niles had recently won temporary custody in early 2018 of his two children with Childers a nine-year-old daughter and a seven-year-old son from when they were in a relationship together years ago. A court hearing for permanent custody was scheduled for December 2018, but Josh Niles was already dead by then. So Charlene Childers, 25, is charged with conspiracy in the New York double murder. She took a plea deal earlier this year. She testified this week that she and her husband, Timothy Dean, started to discuss killing Josh Niles in August, shortly after he received temporary custody of the kids. Childers visited with the kids for a week in October, and after that, she testified. She told her husband, quote, the murder needed to happen. Quote, we sat down and we planned it, describing how we were going to do it and what would be used. What type of gun and when, she said in court this week. Also testifying this week was a former Sunray, Texas police officer named Bron Bowler. He has also taken a plea deal in the case, pleading guilty to conspiracy. Bowler, 34, said Timothy Dean and Charlene Childers discussed the plan at their house, how Dean wanted to use a fentanyl patch to make it look like Josh Niles died from a drug overdose. But then that plan changed. Bron Bowler was to rent a car in his name, so Dean's name was not connected, and Dean would then drive up from Texas to upstate New York to kill Niles, about a 2,800-mile round trip. Bowler testified that Dean used his cell phone and his credit card to rent the car. Bowler picked up the car, drove it to Dean's house, and left it with him. He testified this week that he knew what Dean was going to do with the car. Quote, I had several conversations about Tim coming to New York to come kill Josh, he said Wednesday. 
That's right. Uh, Bron Bowler also said that a few days later he got a call from uh, Dean who said he had crashed the rental vehicle in a ditch. Bowler was working and couldn't help him out. A neighbor of the couple, of the couple who was killed uh, in New York testified this week that she witnessed from her kitchen window a man in a dark hooded sweatshirt shoot Joshua Niles in the driveway next door. The witness said Amber Washburn had just pulled up in her car when the man in the hoodie shot Josh Niles, stood over him and fired at least two more times. She said Amber threw her car in reverse. Josh crawled underneath his truck in the driveway. The witness said the man in the, uh, in the hood then turned and shot Amber. She saw his face then, identifying him as Dean. At least one other witness saw a man shoot Josh, but only the first witness saw the suspect's face. She identified the suspect as Timothy Dean. Amber Washburn's four-year-old son that she had with Josh Niles was sitting in the car when she was shot. The car rolled across the street after she was shot. Uh, authorities say she happened to drive up when Niles was shot, that Dean allegedly shot her because she saw what happened. It was the wrong place, wrong time. Mm-hmm. It was not part of the plan. So a ski mask described as an Under Armour balaclava was found discarded about a tenth of a mile from the murder scene by a police canine dog. DNA was found in that ski mask. A Monroe County, New York crime lab forensic biologist testified that the probability of the DNA is not Dean's. It's one in 14.3 octillion. That's 27 zeros for anyone counting. I don't like those odds. However, Dean's defense attorney got an evidence collection expert to declare that there was no way to know how long that ski mask had been laying there before the dog found it. Police believe Childers was in Texas when the murders in New York happened, but she traveled to New York for a vigil for the victims two days afterward. She and Dean were arrested separately about a week after the murders. Childers had a 9mm handgun with her, the same caliber as the gun used in the slayings. Uh, Timothy Dean's former police department consists of three members. Dean resigned as chief of police in June of last year, about a month after he was arrested for injuring a child in an unrelated case. Charlene Childers and Bron Bowler are scheduled to be sentenced next month. She's expected to get 28 years in prison. Bowler is expected to get only one to three years in prison. Uh, That's unclear to me how that works out, but uh, at least they're going to prison, uh, hopefully. Mm Mm-hmm. So our next case is out of Denver. Got a 27-year-old Colorado man was arrested in January in Provo, Utah, after he made threats on Facebook that he was planning a mass shooting in a public place and would kill, quotes, as many girls as I see. Police say he made the threats because he did not have a girlfriend and was still a virgin. Police in Colorado alerted Provo police about Christopher Wayne Cleary, saying he had posted multiple threats online. They traced his IP address to a phone, and officers and FBI agents tracked Cleary down in a McDonald's in Provo, where he was arrested. Police were particularly concerned because the day of the most recent threats was January 19th of this year, when multiple women's marches were occurring in Utah and across the country that weekend. Cleary was booked on suspicion of making terroristic threats and pleaded guilty in April to a reduced charge of attempted threat of terrorism, which is a felony punishable by up to five years in prison. But prosecutors in Utah have recommended probation. He's already served time in jail from his January 19th arrest until now. The Associated Press reports that at least eight people have contacted authorities to accuse Christopher Christopher Cleary of stalking and harassment. And Colorado police have investigated reports that Cleary threatened to bomb a grocery store in 2013 and reports that he threatened to cut the throat of a Denver city worker. He also allegedly threatened a mass shooting at a mental health facility in 2016. He was charged with stalking two 18-year-old women in 2016 and a third woman in 2017, which was actually his own caseworker. 
During those incidents, he was already on probation for a marijuana conviction. In all three of those stalking cases, Colorado judges sentenced him to further probation just three years more. Again, this is a case of them not taking stalking seriously. A Jefferson County, Colorado judge said in those cases that a prison sentence, quote, would just make it all worse. It won't do the community any good if I put you in prison and make you worse. This is kind Which of might be the absolute worst explanation for not putting somebody in jail that's, after they've had three absurd. stalking cases and all of this other stuff. Uh, he was still on probation for the stalking cases when he was arrested in January for making the threats. Christopher Cleary also has a warrant out for his arrest in Denver, where he's accused of sending texts to a 17-year-old girl threatening her life with, quote, multiple guns. The Jefferson County Prosecutor's Office in Colorado has said they expect Cleary to be returned to Colorado after the Utah case is concluded, where they will seek to revoke his probation and send him to prison. Finally, a judge in Utah is set to rule on the recommendation this week. So, yeah, we've been covering uh, some of these cases about uh counterintuitive or unusual sentencing uh, guidelines and uh, recommendations and actual sentences. This one, it, it appears that Colorado is sort of getting the message here. They want him back and they want to revoke all his probation and put him in jail. But Utah is still sort of, that's very tone deaf, it sounds to me, yeah. uh, that between the probation, making that recommendation and, and a previous judge saying something like that. Um, like, how many more signs do you need that there's an, un, an, an unstable situation here? Where, yeah. You, know, you need something more than just him walking on the streets and checking in uh, a couple times a month. Yeah. And the idea that – and this is a problem across America um, that police departments don't take stalking seriously. Uh, we've had um, – you know, we've done a story on Lenora Claire who was um, stalked and was sent – horrific messages Mm -hmm. when she went to the police department the police department actually told her maybe you shouldn't dress so provocatively and to get off the internet and that was big city that's a big city that was in los angeles that's not even uh yeah in smaller departments yeah so um if a big city doesn't understand how to handle it you know what are this these small departments going to do but it is we've heard tons and tons of cases of this happening to people and um it's good that that it never this never escalated but this guy clearly has issues and he clearly needs to be under supervision there are some flags here that's true so we're going to head over to the hudson river uh near hoboken so a 27 year old man who was missing from maryland was found dead in the river uh in uh off of new jersey this week or last week excuse me hudson county prosecutors identified the man as jamie kabechku who went missing earlier this month while visiting friends in New Jersey, he was found about 3 p.m. last Wednesday, but as it was unclear how long he had been there or how he ended up in the river. The Air Force veteran was last seen on May 4th. His cause of death has not been released. Now, the discovery of the man's body prompted the Hoboken police chief to make an unusual declaration to the public. There is no smiley face serial killers throwing people in the river in Hoboken, said Chief Ken Ferrante. I can assure you that there are no current threats to the public regarding the waterfront, and there have been and there have not been over the past eight years. Now he is referring to the smiley face killers, uh, which is a theory that um, young men, mostly college aged, uh, all under thirty, they've been found in uh, rivers and lakes in uh, across America, mostly up in the Northeast, mm-hmm. and uh, you know Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Ohio, Upper Midwest, and uh, apparently near 
their bodies or where they went uh, missing, there was a smiley face mm-hmm. uh, graffiti. They were trying to say, and there are people that say that there is a gang of people killing these 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 um, unfortunate these young men. Unfortunate young men. Uh, there are a lot of them. Yeah, a lot of them um, are related to alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they were out drinking and uh, went for a walk, stumbled into um, a river or something like that. And you've got these conspiracy theories that, that have come up that there is a smiley face killer that is uh, or a group of smiley face killers that is doing this. Enough of a, an issue that the chief of police of Hoboken had to had a formal try and, declaration about try it. and nip that in the bud right away. So, uh, well. So another body had just been pulled from the Hudson River in Jersey City, not too far away, a couple miles downstream, two days before this other body was uh, found on Monday. That body has not yet been identified. Both incidents are currently under investigation. The Hoboken Patch reports that, uh, uh, to give a little more detail of what you're talking about, uh, over the past eight years, about 15 to 20 bodies have been found in the Hudson River alone in the general Hoboken, New Jersey area. Not one of them has been ter- determined to be a homicide. Hoboken Police Chief Arante says the conspiracy theory began when a man told th- uh, police three men, whether this began then or not, or whether this really yeah. threw the, the fuel on the fire, but uh, a man uh, told police three men in black attacked him and threw him into the river during a March bar crawl uh, years ago in 2016, I believe. Hours after that story was told, police found that it was a false report. The man's friends told police he had gotten into a fight with his girlfriend shortly before he ended up in the river during this bar crawl. Uh, that information did not really make it public, though. That incident, uh, 2014, excuse me, combined with a series of bodies found in the river next to one of the busiest metropolitan areas on the planet, evolved into an urban myth of smiley face killers prowling the area. Police chief said that uh, all the deaths have resulted from voluntary actions, like going swimming, taking a dare, drugs, and intoxication, of course, suicides. Yes, yeah, so you got bridges over there, and um, it's it's not that difficult to, to not, get in, especially really if you're drinking. Uh, But a Facebook group popped up in early 2016 after a Hoboken man named Matthew Genovese was found dead in the river, tying that death to the ongoing conspiracy theory that the smiley face graffiti was sometimes found near scenes where college-age men from the Midwest and the Northeast were found dead. And again, if you've ever seen these smiley faces, it uh, some of them don't even really look like... It's not like they're perfectly drawn smiley faces. They're not consistent either. It's not very consistent at all. New Jersey Online ran a story about a Minneapolis nonprofit group called the Center for Homicide Research who debunked the urban legend in a paper called, quote, Drowning the Smiley Face Murder Theory in 2010. They noted problems in the timelines of these supposed related incidents, that none of the smiley faces match each other, that graffiti can be found virtually everywhere, which is true, especially, you know, along uh, bridges and in, 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 um, uh, along waterways. Mm-hmm. Homicidal drowning is extremely rare and uh, doesn't fit a serial killer motive. And they had 14 other reasons. Uh, Quote, the process by which intoxicated men accidentally fall into the river is already known and well documented. Dryly put. Um, So New Jersey residents should not be alarmed about the resurgence of a dormant serial killer or some copycat. If you're out drinking, stay away from the river. You know, you also there's a case. You know, we have this over in America in Manchester, England, they have what's called the canal pusher. And mm-hmm. they, uh, same thing, young men have been found in the canals. Manchester is is riddled with all of these canals. And uh, they're found dead after a night of drinking. And they're 
they tried to come up with a theory there that there was somebody that was going along and pushing these these young men into the canals. Uh, whenever there's an accident, uh, people try to look mm-hmm. towards uh, some sort of conspiracy to try to make sense of it. You know, it, it makes more sense that there's a boogeyman doing this than simply somebody had too much to drink and then fell into a river um, in in people's sight. Sure. So. Yeah, and plus, you know, you don't want it, your loved one or whatever else, you don't want it to be uh, their fault. Exactly. So. Yeah. So um, we've got an interesting, so, you know, we get comments. Let's talk about the comments that we get. We get comments. There is a comment uh, that was posted uh, yesterday, a bunch, a bunch of comments were posted yesterday on a story about a federal prisoner believed to have spent the longest time in solitary confinement has just passed away. Uh, authorities deemed him so it, it's almost he, he he actually wrote in a letter it's almost more humane to kill someone immediately than it is to intentionally bury a man alive he wrote to a friend in, in 2008 authorities had deemed him a hazard and transferred him to a federal prison in atlanta where he was confined in a six by seven foot cell bright lights in the cell were never turned off mm. and he was monitored continuously by surveillance cameras before moving to the Supermax prison in Colorado, he also spent time at um, at Leavenworth in Kansas. Now, this gentleman um, went to jail for robbery, but then he committed some murders inside the jail. So these are the the comments that we got, and it was it was interesting because the, and and this is still this is actually going viral on our on our Facebook page right now. Danielle T. said he went to jail for robbery and committed the murders while in jail, meaning he probably had to kill or be killed. Mm-hmm. SMH, shaking my head. Um, Robin C. said, couldn't happen to a better guy. I think they should give you electric shocks every day. Have a nice life. Mm. Um Holly K said, goes to prison on a robbery charge, murders in prison, 35 years in solitary confinement and dies. Prisons need major reform. Treat these people like junkyard dogs and that's what you get. If things were safer for everyone in prison, there wouldn't have been four murders in this case alone. Somebody then posted a photo of Mr. or probably a gif of Mr. Krabs uh, from SpongeBob, SpongeBob SquarePants, SquarePants fame. Uh, with a tiny, um, I can show it to you right here. Oh, the world's smallest violin. The world's smallest violin. Well, there's not a lot of sympathy in the United States for incarcerated uh, individuals. No. The whole, the whole thing about rehabilitation has sort of uh, gone by the wayside. Most people think, you know, you deserve yeah. what you get in there. Exa- exactly. Uh, but, the, you know, the, you know humanity there. Williams M. said, this is inhumane. But then somebody wrote, wrote it and said, uh, Tammy L. wrote, he's free now in hell. Another more Hopis in home uh, in hell now. Trek B said, "Go get a full tank of gas and drive around until you find out where I give an F." I don't. Uh, I don't think he's uh, being serious. About no, that. I no. I don't think uh, he does give an F. But uh, we do need criminal justice reform. Thirty-five. But but you know what? So that does cons- for me. That uh, that seems like cruel and unusual. Indeed. Six by seven. So think about a six by seven cell with the lights on all the time. All for the time 35 for years. 30 years. Um, yeah, that will. Uh, and, I, you know, depending on the on the facility, you don't get a lot to do in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, most of those uh, places, you're, you know, you're lucky if you get a book or something along those you lines. You can always but, ask uh, for a Bible. Apparently, they're always supposed to be able to give you a Bible, but they can always come up with a reason to not. Sure. Too, but yeah. 35 years is a long time to read the Bible. 
But, uh, you know, it, is, it helps. But, you know, it's a big book. It's a big book. All times. right. So uh, check out our content on YouTube and Facebook and TrueCrimeDaily.com. And don't forget to download our weekly podcast on Stitcher, on iTunes, on um, Spotify, on Google Play. And also, if you have comments or questions about the show, call us up and leave a message at 888-548-9758. We'd love to hear from you in your own voice. Be advised your recording may be aired in any of our future podcasts, because that's the whole idea. So until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast reminding you, don't do crimes. Don't do crimes.